I want to know who those people are so I can personally <laughs> buy a plane ticket to their city. Uh-huh. Find just, their house. Just get a bullhorn outside their house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. You are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Steam Powered Movies. My name is Mike and I'm here with... Hello, my name is Dana Frederick and I am a steampunk and fantasy author. I am a maker of many things. I am an educator and some something you said like earlier today, fantastical wizard of creation or something like yes, that. Yes, yes. You so, have many hats and create many things. I'll so put that on my, on my business card. <laughs> it's going to go on the business card. Yeah. 100%. And today is a special... Christmas episode of Cue this podcast. Jingle bells, ring a ling a ling a ling a ling, because <laughs> I don't actually have any in my hand. <laughs> It'll be in the intro music. Don't worry <laughs> about it. We'll do it all professional sounding and stuff. Because you are professional. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Today we're here to talk about a very special Christmas movie. Ah, one of our favorites. It's so good. That we have seen many, many times, mm -hmm. but we watched it again just to be sure it's fresh. Mm hmm. Today's movie is A Muppet Christmas Carol. Woo! Finally, I'm so glad. I pushed for this last year. <laughs> you did. You pushed for it last year. Uh, people, you can check the episodes where Dana pushed for it. And it was also recommended to us by a listener. Yes. Um, so this is uh, my dear friend, Jen Dunnigan. She is also the owner and operator of Archimedes Azure, which is an extremely cool company of curios and fun thing she's so creative and does many many things if you're at TeslaCon or any other steampunk show she's probably there check her out she's super cool yeah if you're at TeslaCon, say hi to dana in the next couple days yeah after this comes out That's so right. <laughs> jen and i will be there it's gonna be a good time yeah thanks to jen for recommending it if any of you listening have any recommendations for us for any steampunk movies for us to talk about you can hit us up on the socials we are at steam powered pod on twitter or at Steam Powered Movies on Threads or Instagram. So, Dana. Yes. Talking about Muppet Christmas Carol. Right. It's a movie that was released in 1992. Yeah. So many years ago. Yes. Uh, directed by Brian Henson. Okay, yeah, that's Jim Henson's son. Yep. Um, brought to us by Walt Disney Pictures. Mm -hmm. Starring Michael Caine. Legend. And also Gonzo. Gonzo and Kermit. the Great, sir. <laughs> You need to get his title <laughs> the great correct. Gonzo. I am so sorry. <laughs> am I going to get canceled now? Is this how it happens? This is how you get canceled. Yes. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, my apologies to Gonzo the Great. Uh, <laughs> Miss Piggy and Fozzie. I love that the Muppets themselves are credited in the opening credits. Of course. Along yeah. with Michael Caine. They're celebrities. <laughs> they are. They're up there with Sir Michael Caine. I think he's a, he's been knighted. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. After this movie. He was not Sir Michael Caine in the credits, but I believe he has since been Sir Michael Caine. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Okay. Because I know that this film has had a profound impact on the both of us. Yes. Would you like to, kind of similar to what we did with our like first steampunk movie impressions like when we talked in our first and second episode mm -hmm. what history do you have with this film oh man it's so much it's hard to like parse it out at this point mm -hmm. uh to let the listeners in on our tradition is uh -huh. we watch this film every year yeah while we're much. putting up the tree 
usually while we're putting up the tree this year, an exception, we haven't put the tree up yet. We're going to very soon, Mm -hmm. but yeah, we watch it every year. So we've seen it many times. I saw it as a kid growing up at some point. Uh I don't remember the first time I saw it. It's kind of just always been there as like a thing. Uh Uh-huh. I was a fan of the Muppet movies in general when I was a kid. They're wonderful. Yeah. Um, the original Muppet movie being the best, of course. And this one is debatable. Like a close second. Maybe the best. Maybe this one's better. It's it's a top two with the original Muppet movie. It's just really good. I've seen it a billion times. I know it inside out. I know it like the back of my hand. <laughs> There's a mole on my thumb and right. a scar on from my wrist from of when course. I fell off my bike. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I have some strong feelings about the placement of this film in both Muppet uh, canon and just general cinematic history. Yeah. But we'll yeah. get to that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like what's your like background or history with this movie? So I have adored this movie basically like since the year it came out as like a small, small child. Right. And very small. Let me let me tell you the impact of this film on me. Okay. So when I was little, I would often go and stay with my great grandma, Gigi, mm-hmm. for either a week in the summer or maybe some time like when I was home from school or whatever, like during the school year. Yeah. Yeah. And Gigi, in the, the fashion of many older folks, did not have a lot of like modern entertainments for a young person such as I. Sure. But, sure, you so know, no, like Nintendo console, no, or like cable TV. Absolutely not, <laughs> nothing like that. Um, she had an antenna and she had a VHS player. Nice. And I watched this movie on repeat, and not only that, I had a dual cassette boombox. Okay. That I used to record all of the songs because I put the boombox next to the TV. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wow. And then would like stop it and start it around the songs. That is incredible. And then I would listen to it on repeat. I had no idea. Oh my gosh. I loved this movie so much. I still do. Oh, it's great. And the songs are great. Yeah. Oh, they slap. I mean, uh, shout out to Paul Williams who wrote the songs for this. Oh, okay. I did a little looking at him up uh-huh. um, as we were starting the movie. Indeed. Uh it seems like one of his first things was he wrote one of the main songs, if not the main song, and was nominated for like an Oscar or a Grammy or both for A Star is Born, the original. When you say A Star is Born, is that the one like, A Star is Born? Well, they like remade it recently with like Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Oh, that movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of something totally different. I'm not actually sure what I'm quoting. It just lives in my head rent free. Yeah, that's something else. But yeah, he like wrote a big song for that original movie like back in the 70s okay something like that huh um yeah at me with the correction i'm sure i'm wrong about something but he also did like songs for a bunch of the other muppet movies Mm -hmm. and for the tv show oh cool yeah so uh well done by him yeah um super good job of writing these songs very clever and catchy and well written the opening song is a banger Oh, yeah. There goes Mr. Outrage. There goes Mr. Sneer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The the first couple songs in this mm-hmm. just really set the mood, set the tone, set the scene with all the Muppet characters. Mm-hmm. Like you get little cameos from pretty much all of the Muppet characters that show up throughout 
the film mm-hmm. in the opening sequence. Um, just, yeah, super great. There is an exception to this, however. What's that? Okay. So you had said it as we were watching at the very end, there was a song playing that was not played during the film. <laughs> that song is called The Love Is Gone. Yes. And yes. that was part of the original film. There's mm-hmm. a whole scene where Belle, the woman who Ebenezer loved, mm-hmm. like sings this at him is like, oh, like, you know, we had this great life, but now it's gone. Yeah. And it was a real downer. Super downer. Yeah. I, and they, I, they cut. It was in the original VHS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I do remember. Yeah. When I saw this growing up, that, that scene was included. But mm-hmm. now it's part of the like deleted scenes. Yeah. It's not part of the like digital release version of it. Which is interesting, but I think it's a good decision. No, I remember even as a child, I was like, I am so bored during this part. Can we please get back to the rest of it? Because this, <laughs> this is, it's just, it's so long and it just, it's a very slow song. Yeah. Yeah. I think cutting the song, you still get a good sense of that story beat with the short conversation they have. Yeah. And like Rizzo's crying. Yeah. 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 Uh, Rizzo and Gonzo the Great, uh-huh. uh, you know, interjecting as they do mm-hmm. in great ways. But before we get too deep into the movie, yeah, let's, I guess, introduce the podcast. This oh, is yeah, Steve right. Power Movies. We're doing good. We're so good at this. We're totally professionals. <laughs> Where we uh, watch a steampunk movie and then talk about it. And sometimes it's very steampunk and sometimes we kind of cheat a little bit because we just really like this movie want to talk about it oh honey don't think we're we're cheating that much i have i have dissertations for you okay then please justify us excuse (laughs) you this great movie you think this needs justification i don't know sit yourself down good you're already sat down let's go (laughs) all right let's talk about the urban gothic genre okay i never like to say so and so invented it because Honestly, generally, when someone has, quote unquote, invented something, it's already kind of existed. That person popularized it. Right. That person made it famous. Charles Dickens popularized the urban gothic genre. Okay. Where essentially the city itself is even a character. It has a personality. And as with And a bunch of singing vegetables, of course. That's 100% part of the urban gothic genre is singing vegetables. Uh, Yeah, very essential to it. Right. Right. Continue, please. But no, okay. So urban gothic genre is also uh, kind of recognized. It's generally post-industrial society where, you know, we have all of these issues that have come in with the industrial revolution. You have a lot of class issues. Generally, the vibe is very dark and gritty and just there's just this just that feeling mm-hmm. in the air of like we are deep in the bowels of the city and seeing the inner machinations of it okay and there's there's a deep history of the gothic genre influencing steampunk and also like there's a whole line of like women's fiction kind of being wrapped up with the gothic fiction and yellow backs and all this kind of stuff so okay. there's there's some deep, deep literature nerdery happening I'm going to be Wikipediaing some of these things later. You can do that as well, listeners, <laughs> if you don't understand or follow all of the nerdery that is happening in front of us. Those of you who do understand, you are my people and I appreciate <laughs> you very much. Okay. So anyway, um, urban gothic genre. 
very sort of sister genre to steampunk. Okay. Because a lot of steampunk is set in cities. There's a lot of focus on that industrial era right. stuff, as well as all of the issues that come with it. Yeah. Now, so, so obviously this is set in like that Victorian era. Yeah. The late 1800s. Uh-huh. Uh, instead of being focused on like the industrial center, though, this is more around Scrooge and his like financial sector of the city. Okay, yes, but also we have a lot again, a lot of class issues happening. So Scrooge is a moneylender. He is a kind of like a mortgage broker guy. He yeah. owns people's houses. And there's that whole conversation where he's like, foreclosure season is harvest season. Like we're very much the praying, Christmas season, yeah. Yeah, we're very like, much praying yeah. on the lower classes. Oh yeah. So and there's just all of that stuff and dynamics and whatnot happening so like i said urban gothic is is very much sort of a sister genre to steampunk right and also we have all of the fashion did you not see those starched collars the bonnets the mob caps those glorious like little capelets we had going on oh yeah i did i I have to say this a nice overcoat all all, all the men very nice overcoats yeah yeah so you know top hats all the things this adaptation is fight me the best literature adaptation we have. Period. Done. Wow. Game over. Wow. No, seriously. Hands down. <laughs> this is the best book to film adaptation in existence. I'm saying it now. I cannot mount a strong argument against you mm-hmm. for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, I don't know enough about books. <laughs> <laughs> because I've read only a handful Maybe 30. I've I don't read know. 30 this year. <laughs> well, I've read 30 in a lot more years than that. <laughs> so, but also, I think I agree with you. It's a fantastic adaptation mm-hmm. of the book. There are several film adaptations of A Christmas Carol mm-hmm. by Charles Dickens. I think this is by far the best yes. of those adaptations. Mm-hmm. Of the Christmas Carol adaptations, I think this is easy, hands down, the best. Of all books adapted into movies of all time, I cannot speak on that, mm-hmm. but you're entitled to your opinion, and I cannot argue against it. I will say, I love the 2005 version of Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley, and that is an excellent adaptation. This one still beats it. And you know who else agrees with me? Who's that? Brett Goldstein. Okay. Who is that? I'm Roy Kent. <laughs> <laughs> enough said yeah who would argue with roy kent <laughs> that's right you don't want to get headbutted no <laughs> no but it is really really well done and i think a couple of things about how it's adapted to the audience that it's targeted towards are which really is well children done. right right it's targeted towards children but also like families in general mm-hmm. so adults and parents too Introducing the the Muppets mm-hmm. to the cast uh, introduces an element of like levity and comedy. Maybe my okay, maybe not, maybe, but definitely my favorite part of this film. Also mentioned Gonzo the Great and Rizzo the Rat <laughs> as the as Charles Dickens the narrator They're and his so assistant. Good, it's such a great framing device. Mm-hmm. Like so many movies frame with narration or with like a narrator or someone telling a story and it's kind of clunky Mm -hmm. this is really really well done it's so good one because 
he mostly just quotes the book. Yeah. So he is playing the part of Charles Dickens as the narrator. Mm -hmm. But also, like, Rizzo just inserting the little asides and jokes and Gonzo playing off of that. Mm -hmm. It injects levity at just the right points in the story where it could be overwhelmingly, like, dark and dismal. Mm Mm-hmm given the setting and the subject matter and everything, but it's just that right amount of levity to keep you engaged and keep you going and not become like just depressed by this, you know, bleak landscape. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's great. Fantastic. And do you know what it does not do? What's that? It doesn't undercut the serious moments with a joke. Like yes, when the ghost of Christmas past or sorry, the ghost of Christmas future comes in Rizzo and Gonzo are like sorry guys we outie yeah we'll, we'll catch you at the end yeah. and then they just like yeah me- out of there meet you at the finale yeah and they just peace out <laughs> yeah but then that allows the movie to have that gravitas for that moment and it saves it for that too yeah like the earlier parts are interjecting more humor they save it for that impactful moment at the end yeah with the ghost of Christmas future and you know you, you might get a little choked up you might uh, get affected it's oh, very yeah. effective no like throughout the years at various points in my life this movie has still like brought me to tears it's yeah. so it's just there's just so much hard like this is this is cinema done truly well I, I and agree. I will fight anyone who's like oh no it's a Muffin movie or oh no it's like a dumb kids movie like come on let's go it's it's really well done mm-hmm. like I watched it this time trying to analyze it from like a filmmaking perspective. Not mm-hmm. that I'm like a real film critic or filmmaker or, or anything. I've mm-hmm. just watched some Corridor Crew videos or, you sure, know, yeah. and listened to some other podcasts. Uh-huh. But I think it's really well done. Uh, you know, obviously with the Muppets being involved, you have to cleverly frame things so you can't see the sticks or the wires. Yeah, yeah. But it's done really well. Yeah. I think there was a couple scenes where you could tell that maybe there were some effects involved. Maybe they were trying to hide some wires. It was 1992. But that makes it even more impressive, I, know. I think. Yeah. Yeah, because there was not like computer generated animation at that time. There mm-hmm. was no real CGI of mm-hmm. any great magnitude. There were some films who had done some CGI, but not a lot and not in this kind of aesthetic. You know, mm-hmm. there was no way to fit it in. It was just. I mean, I think there was maybe one scene that was stop motion with the penguins on the ice. I Was it stop motion? There was like one shot that I was like, is that stop motion? Anybody who knows about like the making of I this, like, like message us, like, like, let me know if anybody knows anything about this. But I, I could swear that there was like one scene that was stop motion. I don't know. Just mixed in there. So, yeah, it might yeah. have just been the cutting that made it seem like that. Maybe. But like, yeah. Great job to um, Brian Henson for, you know, directing a very well-made film. And, you know, this this is a travesty. This movie has a 77% on rot- Rotten Tomatoes, uh. which is why you cannot trust critics, okay? Critics are full of garbage, all right? That is bull honky. I want to know who those people are so I can personally <laughs> buy a plane ticket to their city. Uh-huh. 
find their house. Just get a bullhorn outside their house. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. You are wrong. You need to fix your Rotten Tomatoes score. I will say anything them (laughs) to correct their opinion on the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's a masterpiece. 100% rating. Please, people. Isn't say anything with like a boombox like above your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the boombox thing. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay, I get it. I get. It. I get what you. I get. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> Explain the joke. It makes it funnier. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so much better that way. So, also, total side note. Okay. There is an audiobook version of A Christmas Carol that is read by Tim Curry, and it is peak. You will, you will be glad you listened to that version. Tim Curry. Okay. Oh, it's so good. I listened to it a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was 2020 and I was desperate for like just things to make me feel happy and enriched and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's, it's so good. Yeah. Speaking of English people who, uh, do a great job. Yeah. Can we talk about Michael Caine? Uh, of course. Yeah. He carries this movie. Oh, he's st- and like, he's like looking straight into a puppet's face and dead serious about everything he's saying. Yeah. Or straight into the camera and just, yeah. And I do think that he brings an element that goes with like the Muppet and the family theme of this, where he's not playing a hundred percent like hardened, cruel, Mm -hmm. but he plays it like he's still like a scared little boy who is putting on a face of being hard and cruel Mm -hmm. to the world when he's being seen. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just melts away throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. But I think his casting is perfect for that. Yeah. I think, I think that is a really good description. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it in that way or like articulated it in that way, but I think you're right because when they play the game at Fred's house, Mm -hmm. um, it's not 20 questions. They called it something else. Uh, like questions and answers or something. Yes and or, no. Yes and no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So and he's like playing along, and she, he and Clara both say cat, and he's like, "I said it first. Right. <laughs> I feel like that was a little bit of like a turning moment for him. It was very good. Also, Fred, like, kind of a jerk. Oh, okay, but like you have to understand, Ebenezer is—he's such an unkind dude, and yes. that's very much the moment, like when you find out nobody likes you, like really mm-hmm. strongly dislikes you yeah although i i think that there is like maybe a, a more modern reading of the fred character yeah that i i was kind of formulating as we were watching it in that scene where they play yes and no and he is you know ebenezer's mean but he's his family and fred is like delighting in roasting him to his friends he is like really enjoying roasting his friends. Even the, earlier in the film, we saw him like putting on a show of being generous mm-hmm. and nice to the, the charity people and setting up Ebenezer to uh, try to get him to give money. He knew it wasn't going to happen. Uh-huh. And then at the end, when Scrooge comes in and is like being all cheerful and Christmassy, Fred's wife is like, oh, this is great. And Fred looks frightened and like <laughs> Fred looks broken down at seeing even Ebenezer coming around on Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He feels I like... I think he was just shocked. Well, definitely shocked. Yeah. I think... I, yeah, I think for the time he was just playing shocked, but I don't know now. He seems kind of like some of those people who uh, like to be like high and mighty about their morals, but don't 100% practice it. Mm-hmm. They look for other people to look down on. And then when Ebenezer comes around 
to actually celebrating Christmas, Fred is kind of put in his place, I think. I don't know. I like, don't know. That's just a theory I was bouncing around no, my I, head. I think it's interesting. Like, is there an argument here for like toxic cheerfulness? Is there kind of a, a closer examination of Fred? Because we don't really get his character hardly at all. We get like three minutes of screen time with him. Bits maybe. and pieces. Yeah. But like I am stretching three minutes of screen time no, into no, a broad I like theory. It, though. I, I really like it. Um, so John Scalzi has that quote and you're going to have to bleep me a little bit. Uh, okay. But John Scalzi has that quote that uh is the failure mode of cleverness mm. and we do you kind of feel like fred is falling into that like oh i'm so clever and actually you're kind of just being a little bit asshole. yeah i think that might be it okay yeah he's trying I to could... be clever and he's trying to like show off that you know he's a kind generous person and ebenezer is not he's he's you know comparing himself to scrooge to make himself look good but mm. but now ebenezer is coming around and he's seen the light and I think Fred might have to get his act together and like actually practice what he preaches every moment of the day. Interesting. Interesting. So you feel like maybe the positive impact of this story has further reaching effects than just Scrooge and the Cratchit family that maybe even like Fred is like kind of gets his, his head screwed on a little bit straighter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, to get him to come around to not just seeing himself in opposition to other people, mm -hmm. but really, you know, everyone coming together, okay. being a real community. I yeah. don't remember how Fred's character is described <laughs> at all in the book. So I don't know. Maybe this, maybe we're spot on. Maybe we're totally off base. I don't know. Well, anyway, it, maybe it's a good lesson regardless. Yeah. Okay. Who knows? Okay. Not what you expected to get into, huh? <laughs> right. No, this is this is great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we have basically no plan for this episode because we love this movie so much. We could just talk for hours about I, how great it is. I was like mouthing along with all the lines in the beginning, <laughs> just line for line. I was just going. I on more on the steampunk thing. Okay. We have these gorgeous sets. Yes. This is such an immersive film. Like you feel like you are sitting in 19th century London. Like, as you're walking through these sets, everything is perfect. All of the clothing is perfect. All of the sets are so intricate and wonderful. Um, I will say, I think I saw two little secrets okay. in the set. Okay, so when Scrooge has had this great revelation and they're like kind of trotting through the town and giving away gifts and all this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. there were two shop names I noticed. Okay. okay. I and one the first one was half covered up with a wreath. But I think it was Statler and Waldorf. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Oh, I think you're right. Because I think that one they passed twice on the way there and the way back. Mm-hmm. And I also caught that there was some writing but couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. yeah. Good catch. And then there's another one that you can see just as they're coming up to Bob Cratchit's house that's called Mickle Whites. And fun fact. That is Michael Caine's real last surname or real surname. No way. It is. That is something I didn't know. Yeah. That's great. And I mean, it might, it might be a complete coincidence, but it feels like an Easter egg. <laughs> no, I'm with you. The one thing that I caught this time that I never noticed before was when they bring the turkey into the Cratchit house, mm -hmm. right after the turkey is a basket full of booze. Of course there is. <laughs> I mean, they knew how to celebrate in the 19th century. I just love that they snuck that in the family film. Uh -huh. It's great. And I never noticed it before. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so many yeah, good little 
little things visually or like writing wise. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this film, oh, sorry, it is I the had... American way. Yeah. <laughs> like little whisper, whisper. I mean, it is the British way. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a that's a trope of Muppet movies in general. You got to have a fourth wall break somewhere. Uh-huh. And that was that was the one. For this one, I mean, besides the narration, I guess being a whole entire fourth wall thing. But, sure, but like the actual narrative breaking the fourth wall, mm-hmm. it was good. This also has one of my favorite tropes, which is an entire scene of people celebrating and jumping around and dancing or what have you, and then just like one grumpy person in the center of it doing <laughs> nothing. Oh yeah, yeah, and they had that during um, uh, what is it? Stop and look around you. No wait, um, the first reprise of that. Um, uh, the season of the hear it, the make it last all year. I know I'm getting, I'm getting my lines mixed up. <laughs> yeah. That one, that one. Yeah. But yeah. Um, with the ghost of Christmas present. So, you know, they're singing, they're dancing da, 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 and Scrooge is just like, just there in the middle, just standing still. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, just like he was at, uh, at Fozzie wigs too, when they're all partying there Oh yeah, at the rubber right. chicken factory. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just, <laughs> which I'd forgotten. It was a rubber chicken factory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did the books for a rubber chicken factory. It's they, they had a great need for rubber chickens in Victoria and London. Yeah. Yeah. And Statler and Waldorf giving the, the commentary on the speech. Those are some of my favorite quotes of all time. <laughs> it was stupid. It was short. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like classic characters mm-hmm. had to find a good spot for them. Yeah. Uh, I also noticed that Gonzo sort of works in this film by the same rules as Discworld's death. Where like, okay. so basically like when he had that moment with Sam and he is like in Sam's ear and stuff. And then Sam's like, oh, okay, cool. And then he like looks and Gonzo is gone. Death basically works the same way where like you'll have like little scenes where there's like catastrophe happening and someone bumps into someone and then you just hear, at least in the in the audio versions, Peter, Peter Serafinowicz does the voice of death, and you just mm-hmm. hear, "Excuse me," <laughs> and it just like moves on. Like they just have the little joke, and then they move right along. And Gonzo right. works by the same rules. Right, right. Like he whispers in the ear, and Sam hears it, but then Sam immediately forgets where he heard it from. Yeah, it's just like, oh, that was weird. Yeah, why did yeah. I say that? Oh, okay, whatever. Uh huh. Just no, it, brush it off. Hundred <laughs> percent, exactly the same. So yeah, and just also. This is this is so random, but it just makes me so happy. Like the little kiss that Rizzo does on Gonzo's nose. Oh yeah, when he's like frustrating him, and he's like, Mwah. <laughs> he's just so sweet. I just love it. It's just like again that little moment of just like we're we're we have we're not standing on any kind of like weird like what do you what do you call it? Just like oh, this is how like men have to be or whatever and they can't be mm-hmm. affectionate or whatever just like all yeah. of that like weird toxic masculinity stuff or whatever like just like no it's just like a sweet little like i love you and you love me ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> they i'm i'm gonna keep coming back to this they had their repartee is like one of the things that i think elevates this telling of the story mm-hmm. because the story itself is very simple mm-hmm. right you've got this like three act thing with like a three act middle basically you've Mm -hmm. got scrooge is grumpy scrooge learns a lesson in Mm -hmm. three parts yeah and then the last act where he has learned his lesson and he is now spreading cheer like it's a really short simple story Mm -hmm. but the thing that makes it entertaining and keeps the thread of the the you know the story going is gonzo and rizzo like interjecting and giving like the the background and the 
the little details and things like that. It's it's so great. Yeah. They have all the best lines too. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course they do. They're the well, they're not the main characters, but Sometimes it's not the main character who has the best lines. Thanks for making me a part of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so just so many like little details. Like Risso falls on the goose and he's like, you have all the fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, and also the the book, A Christmas Carol, also has a really amazing history. We watched the film a couple of years ago, The Man Who Invented Christmas. Yes, we Which did. Which is also an excellent film, and perhaps one day we will do for this podcast. Perhaps. Yeah. But, and also, it was self-published, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Yay for self-publishing. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the story of just how it came together is insane and amazing, and just, it's it's such a, such a funny little miracle of a book, really. Because it also changed the world. Like, a lot of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas the way we do now is because of the popularity of A Christmas Carol. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I mean, could I mean, Christmas that. existed. It was a holiday, but it wasn't like the huge big thing that it is now. Mm-hmm. So, so you're saying before Christmas Carol, a lot of people were bah humbug, but now they know how to keep Christmas. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, but okay, I'll let you have it. (laughs) I'll let it go. There were a bunch of Scrooges running around and they read this book. Wow. And they were changed in an instant. Okay. The spirits got it all done in one night. Okay. They could do whatever they want. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gracious. That is that is very good. I didn't I've set myself up for it and I didn't even see it coming. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just and also Miss Piggy as Emily Cratchit. Mm-hmm. Chef's kiss. Perfection. <laughs> Not a ton of screen time, but again, like elevates the part. Mm-hmm. Could have been a throwaway, like, oh, the wife character that blends into the background. Mm-hmm. But Miss Piggy, you know, yeah. puts herself forward. She's gonna throw down. Oh yeah, she's she is going to thrash a Michael Caine. Yeah, yeah, she will raise your wait, wait, salary? What? Huh? Yeah, <laughs> no, she's gonna raise him right off the pavement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I would pay to see that fight, even though she couldn't tell her own daughter's part, Belinda and Petunia. Uh, it's Bertina. What is it? It's Bertina. No. Yes. Okay. No. Look it up. Take a second to look it up right now. I think it's Petunia and Belinda. It's Bertina. Um, no, I'm not going to look it up. I'm just going to leave all of this in the podcast. <laughs> and I'm going to be right. You're not. I'm confident that I'm right. Just like a man. <laughs> and one of us will be right. <laughs> and the other will be wrong. You know, one of us was watching the credits at the end, too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I know what I wrote down. And what I wrote on this paper is the truth. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm trying to see what else I had because I, I have a lot of different things. I don't know. I did actually just on this viewing, this thousandth viewing or whatever it is. Right. I only just now realized that the ghost of Christmas past is a Muppet child. Oh, I, is that what it is? I Okay. Yeah. No, like this threw me for years because they do do a bit of. Uh, movie pokey jiggery with like making her really like bright and shiny. Uh huh. 
There's definitely some sort of effect going on yeah. with like the flowy uh, garb and the shiny face yeah. and stuff. I was yeah. like, I was looking at because it's always been like, why does why does she look so uncanny? Mm-hmm. And like, I know she's supposed to be a child. It just it it always struck me as weird. And I looked really close to this time. She is a Muppet face child. Okay, like the same way that the Ghost of Christmas Present is a Muppet. Right. So They're that's all Muppets, why, yeah. That's why the eyes and everything like weirded me out. Okay. Because they're not actually human eyes. Like I, for years, I've tried to figure uh, out like how is this a human face? But well, it's not. So there we go. Gotcha. So that I literally just on this viewing figured that out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, Ghost of Christmas Present, which is a lot of fun. Oh, obviously. he's my favorite. He's. A, I want to hang with him. He's a large absent-minded spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also straight from the book. Oh, really? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Charles Dickens, he was a funny writer. Wait, like, wait, was he like a good writer? Did he like write really well? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Charles Dickens does get a bit of a bad rap, but you have to remember, he was paid by the word, which is why he took an entire paragraph to describe dead as a doornail. And then how dead is a doornail? Yeah. That I mean, that does need explaining to some people. <laughs> he was paid by the word. Okay, that does explain a tale of two cities. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like the size of a cinder block. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, it's immense. Yeah. And so, you know, I can't I can't blame the guy. If I was paid by the word, oh boy, there would be some real, real long books coming out. <laughs> like, oh, this had to be six hundred thousand words. It just that's just what it took. I'm Are sorry. They all necessary? Yes, yes, of course. Yes, Very now necessary. please give me my money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yeah, he does get a bad rap for having, like, long, dry books and stuff. But, like, he's very funny and very clever. Mm -hmm. And also, he wrote in defense of the poor and those who were forced to go work in workhouses and whatnot, which were horrible conditions and just awful situations. So, yeah, which, you know, was, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you would do that at this time. Yeah. You know, and you might think that. You know, that sort of subject matter that is covered in this story, you know, mm-hmm. is a little heavy for a children's movie. But, you know, that's all right. This is culture. <laughs> Another classic line. <laughs> I'm just trying to squeeze in as many Gonzo quotes as I can. Oh, my gosh. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know what is kind of a, a glowing review of this film in itself? Yeah. That it's a musical mm-hmm. and I like it. That's very true. Yeah. Is it the only musical that you like? Uh, it's on a very short list. I'm not going to try and think of others right now. Because that was going to be my next question is like, what are others that you do like? I mean, I saw The Lion King and Fan of the Opera live and I like those. Okay, that's, I, I love that you love them, but those are very different situations. Yes. Movie, like film musicals. Uh-huh. Ugh. Uh, it's a real, real short list. But I, I think there's a couple things that contribute to this film Mm -hmm. being good to me. One, nostalgia. Saw it when I was a kid. That helps. Uh, Two, the songs are really good. Mm -hmm. Except for maybe the the last one, the or the second last one, the the one with the family, where they're at the Cratchit house in the future and or no the present. And there's that song about the family. Are you talking about the love we found? Maybe that one? No, no, no. It's not that one. It's the one before that. Oh, oh, the um, Bless Us All Who yeah, Gather Here. Yeah, that one. Okay. I think that's kind of a weak link. It's a sweet song, though. It's, and it's, you re- are you really going to tell Tiny Tim that you hate his song? 
I, you heard it here, folks. Mike hates Tiny Tim's song. No, I don't hate <laughs> Tiny Tim. His God bless us, everyone is precious. I think it doesn't need to be in song form in that moment. It's a bit, it's a bit over the line sweet for me. Uh-huh. A little too uh, saccharine. A little too much. And the other songs have more like energy mm-hmm. or like oomph to them. Uh-huh. You know, the one about Grumpy Scrooge or about you know, Christmas being happy is all like jaunty and bouncy. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's kind of, kind of mid, but, okay, uh, okay. but yeah, the rest of the songs great. And they are not too many. Uh huh. And they also are interjected in ways that don't seem as awkward as some other musicals do. I, I think it's because uh, some musicals, it's just like two people talking and then they start singing and dancing together. I was going to say, is it is it like the Les Mis thing where like, and now I'm telling you how to feel and what I've done. And now I'm telling you about my history. Yes. OK. Yes. It, it doesn't do that. It's more filling in the spaces with like montage. They're okay. like montages okay. that set the scene, uh, but they're not taking the place of dialogue. OK. So. I think that's how it works for me. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. And I know that with Phantom, because you actually kind of enjoyed the film as well. It was it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I remember you taking me to it on, it wasn't our first date. It might have been our first official date. The line's kind of blurry on that, but yeah. yeah. No, like when, when we actually got together, a little yeah. blurry. But anyway, I, I remember that like, you took me to a special showing of the film when it came out. Well, I also knew that you were a big fan and, Huge. you know. Yeah. Maybe I score some points. There you go. Yeah. Starting off strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know that you you kind of like that, but I know that the fact that it is literally set in a place meant to do musicals is like a whole part of it for you. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's lots of lots of good jokes. Mm-hmm. The The rats are all funny. Oh, those rats were going to hang Kermit out to dry again and again. It's a frog's idea. <laughs> Our assets are frozen. <laughs> that's one of those good jokes that's so good because like the adults can appreciate it. Yeah. And maybe the children don't get it. Or maybe the children get it for a different reason, but they don't get the full meaning of it. Uh-huh. Like, haha, I'm going to lose use the word asset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. I always, as a child, once I learned the word asinine, I always felt a little dangerous using that word. Like, that's asinine. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You were such a rebel. I know. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to say. I I don't either. I just, just, this is such a good film and I love it so much. It it is so good. Um, We were talking about the songs. Some people might say that... Uh, Michael Caine singing is a weak link uh-huh. in the songs of this film. I was going to ask you what you thought of his singing voice because I can't always tell in these situations. Well, I don't think that it's very good uh-huh. as far as a singing voice. Uh-huh. He does okay. Uh-huh. You could tell that it was like dubbed over and there was probably some extra production done in the studio to try and make it sound as good as possible. But, mm-hmm. but... I think it works on a story level Mm -hmm. and a character level within this film Mm -hmm. because the whole time the other people that are singing are like joyful, happy, and it comes naturally to them. Mm -hmm. This scene where Michael Caine as Scrooge sings for the first time, it's his first expression of like happiness and joy. Mm -hmm. And 
he's not very good at it yet. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah. he, he's kind of learning the ropes of that. Sure. So he's making more of a joyful noise. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but it's good enough, you know? I think it really, if you get down to like to that character and story level, it's it's just right. I can dig it. If you're just listening to the soundtrack, yeah, it's not going to like stand out as great. Mm-hmm. But in the context of the movie, I think it works. I think it works really well. Okay. Yeah. I like that. That's a, I like that very much. It's very thoughtful. Yeah. Cool. And, you know, kind to Sir Michael Caine. Yeah. For his best effort, mm-hmm. which I'm sure that he, he gave. Oh, um, yeah. Because again, mean, we've established this man does not phone it in. Or if he can sing better than that and he toned it down to match the character, mm-hmm. then, then then he's just even more genius. That's true. Yeah. Let's just give him credit either way. I wonder, <laughs> I, bet, I bet you can Google to see if Michael Caine actually can sing well. Uh, I don't know. I bet, I bet he, that's probably just his voice. But <laughs> It might be. I don't know. <laughs> that's, I don't want to give him too much credit that he deserves. What credit does he not deserve? Uh, I don't know. All of it? Sure. Yeah, he's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, this movie is great. It stands up. Um, even most of the effects and visuals yeah. like stand up. There's a little bit of like Superman flying part that... Uh, oh, it's fine. It's okay. It was 1992. But the rest of it, I think there are some scenes that are even legitimately like, I don't know how they did that mm-hmm. back in 1992. Mm-hmm. It made it look so good. You can't see the wires anywhere. Mm-hmm. You never see it. Yeah. And speaking of how good this movie is, let's do the thing where we do the thing where we give it a rating. We do that thing. Yeah. At the end of the show, uh, not based on our amateur critic credentials, which are none, <laughs> but first based on how steampunk is this movie on a scale of one to five steam engines. Dana, how steampunk is a Muppet Christmas Carol? Uh, okay. I think you might disagree with me. But I'm yeah. going to give it five. Five? What? Yes. That seemed kind of crazy. No, no. Because of how authentic everything about this movie is. Between <sighs> the narration and pulling actual lines from the book, from the little town they've basically built, this immersive little set where everything looks exactly as it should, all of the costumes, just everything about it. It I, I mentioned it's a it's an amazing adaptation. It's the best adaptation there is. I'm giving it five. Sure. You know what? In in the spirit of the season, I will not argue with you. We'll just give it five. Oh, my gosh. Your heart <laughs> grew three sizes. <laughs> Wait, am I the Grinch here? Never mind. Let's go on to rate it based on how much we enjoyed it. Dana. How much did you enjoy watching them up at Christmas Carol this 357th time on a scale of one to five gears? Surprise, surprise, surprise. I'm going to give it five. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise. No surprise at all. My scale, one to five top hats. It's five. This movie is great. It's just everything about it is wonderful. If you haven't seen it, by some chance... This Christmas season, watch A Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half of your life. Yeah, and it'll be a good one. Have some hot cocoa, have some wine, whatever. Whatever your seasonal holiday beverage of choice is, Mm -hmm. or just seasonal, wintry, feel-good, coziness beverage. There you go. Sit down and have it, yeah. Any final thoughts, Dana? No, I just, I love this movie so much. (laughs) It just, it, it fills my heart with joy. You know, and it just gets us in the Christmas mood. Mm-hmm. It is that time of year. So 
all of you listening, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. Enjoy it. Or don't celebrate. Enjoy that. That too. Mm-hmm. Um, but watch this movie. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if there are any other steampunk films that you think we should be watching and reviewing in this coming year, uh, then message us on Twitter at Steam Powered Pod on threads or Instagram at Steam Powered Movies. Give us any feedback or recommendations. Please do that. Uh, thank you for listening. You guys are the best. And as always, uh, we'll see you next time with another steampunk movie. Okay, bye. Okay, bye, and happy new year. Happy new year. Let's go put up our tree.